Well, good day, folks. Uh, today is the eighth day of July, two thousand twenty-three. Um, Saturday, actually. I'm your host and narrator, Mitchell Dawkins, with today's message. Today, I'm going to be talking about the fivefold ministry. I think uh, it's very important that we uh, refresh our memories on uh, what that looks like. Uh, and um, how it has everything to do with uh, walking in unity. Glory to God. And has everything to do with spiritual gifts as well. And so I'm going to read from Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Uh, actually, it begins in uh, verses 11 through 13. But I'm going to begin at verse 1. Just so we can get a better understanding of why Paul uh, was writing this letter. And so let me begin reading from the New King James uh, uh, Version of the Bible, the King James Version. Verse 4, uh, I mean, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of your calling with which you were called, with all lowlessness, Lowliness, the lowlessness, and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Glory to God for that. Uh, verse 7, it begins to go into the area of spiritual gifts. And it reads, uh, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Glory to God. Therefore, he says, When he ascended on high he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men glory to god for that now this he ascended what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth he who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens far above the heavens that he might feel all things. Glory to God. And so now verse 11. He begins to go into these. Uh, these. Uh, the fivefold ministry right here. And he himself. Verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles. Some prophets. Some evangelists. And some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. For the work of ministry. And for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come together. It don't say that. It says till we all come in the unity of faith. And of the knowledge of the son of God. To a perfect man. Let me stop right there real quick. 
you know, people always say, well, I ain't perfect. It's their excuse and their justification for, 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 for a lot of things. Well, I ain't perfect. I ain't perfect. Ain't nobody perfect. If God, he says, to a perfect man, which means you are perfect spiritually in the sight of God. So we got to stop using this, I ain't perfect and all this to justify some things, amen, or to, to run away from some things. Amen. Let me continue on. To the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carry about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up all things into him who is head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies hmm? according to the effective workings by which <clears throat> excuse me every part does its share every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love glory to god amen and so uh in 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 the letter to the ephesians paul the apostle paul he describes the kind of leaders god has provided for his church, for it to attain maturity and Christ-likeness becoming the spotless bride of Jesus. And so uh, in that scripture, uh, uh, Paul lists five offices that are referred to as the fivefold ministry. It was the apostles, it was the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Okay? And so many Many Christian leaders have taken the verse out of out of context and elevated these five roles above their rightful place. They emphasize the importance of these offices uh, in a in a local church, which is certainly true. They should be doing that, but often serve their own interests and need for power and recognition while denying others. The laity. These are these are non-clerical people, non-clergies. Any kind of they they deny them any kind of involvement in in church government. But others discard this verse altogether, claiming that Paul is speaking in the apostolic age, which has long passed away. So the words, Amen. So 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 the words are not relevant to us anymore. That's not true. This uh, it, it is it is it is therefore of utmost importance to get a biblical understanding of the fivefold ministry, so that our churches will be healthy and functioning according to the will and plan of God. And so, while we'll focus on these five, uh, we must not forget that Paul is is not giving us a exhaustive list. See. In 1 Corinthians um, 12, 28, he says, uh, In the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then workers of miracles, 
also having gifts of healing. Those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, you see, and those speaking in different tongues. Only three of the five in Ephesians are repeated here again, you see. While Paul adds other kinds of people and functions, uh, surely we uh, we would we would not equate an apostle with administrator with an administrator. Yet both are in the same list, and there's no reason to assume hierarchy. You see, or or, or that one function is more valuable or has more value than the other. On the contrary, those who speak the word of God, who preach and teach, which is all part of the fivefold ministry, uh, are held to higher accountability. And their goal is not to serve themselves, but the flock of God, so that they would attain all fullness in Christ. Glory to God. And so with transparency comes greater responsibility and with responsibility, higher accountability. God has led his leaders in, in, in place for church to function. He is, in other words, he has set his leaders uh, uh, in place for his church to function. And those truly called into these places will, will, will have to be tested and proven. Having gone through the fire of preparation, displaying true humility and Christ-likeness, not desiring a position, but wanting to serve their king any way he wants them to. Glory to God. And so uh, while, while there are many different ideas in the body of Christ today, There, there, there are just many different ideas in the body of Christ today about each one of these five offices or functions. But this is what I believe. Starting with the apostles. Apostles, uh, when, it, when, it, when it comes to the study of the fivefold ministry in the New Testament, prophets are mentioned a few times. Evangelists is specifically mentioned a couple of times. Pastors and teachers are referred to occasionally, but apostles are mentioned often. And yet, apostleship is, is the most misunderstood of them all. How can that be? Well, over the centuries, the term apostle disappeared from the usage until recent new awakening of interest over the past two decades. Might have been three decades. That does not mean that apostles did not exist. They were often called missionaries. Or better yet, they were called pastors. Yet the dispensational belief that the Holy Spirit has stopped moving with the end of the apostolic age taught that all apostles had to have uh uh, what, what all had to have uh, they had to disappear in other words and so today we're trying to gain some biblical understanding of what an apostle is supposed to look like in our day 
in, 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 in pursuit of restoring the church to the normative uh, to the to the how can I say this to the normative of the of the first century unfortunately um, the result has often been unhealthy an unhealthy elevation of the office of an apostle feeding to people's need for power and recognition on the other hand, this abuse seems to justify dispensational concerns. That is, uh, uh, things have passed. You see? And so we got some dispositional concerns of, of, of the office of apostle. Of apostleship, uh, in other words, being un, unscripted today. However, theological concerns about apostleship results from a lack of distinction between the first 12 apostles and the office, the office of an apostle. And so those uh, uh, who seek to teach that apostles have disappeared overlook that many other apostles listed in the book. They overlook that. And they're listed in the book of Acts as well as the epistles. And those in favor of, of apostleship who also abused the office seem to have overlooked that Paul calls himself a servant and a father and that he paid a price none of them would be willing to pay. Huh? So the question is, are, you, are, 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 they, are, they, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this, right? I am more. I have worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. Been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. That comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 through 28. Hmm? You know, um, glory to God, um, One might define an apostle as one called and sent by Christ to have the spiritual authority, the character, the gifts, and the ability to reach and establish people in, the king, in, in, in kingdom truth and order, especially through funding and overseeing local churches. 
An apostle has a burden to build something that didn't exist before. Hmm? They lay down the foundation of the new local churches and see to it that, that, that they come into full maturity. That is the church, uh, that is uh, a church, that person, that is the church, in other words, that person will be, uh, will be the apostle of, or be the apostle to, which means he or she will not have any authority as an apostle in, in, in other churches. Which is, which is what many today claim. Paul himself wrote to the Corinthians. He said, even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 2.9. And so um, uh, uh, apostles have a burden uh to ground their church in solid biblical teachings. An example of which uh, we can see in Acts 11. When Paul and Barnabas spent two years in Antioch, teaching and equipping them. So apostles have the desire to train and raise up a church leaders who will come into full maturity in the church to release them and then move on to plant another church, making themselves redundant is their greatest reward. As the father, their spiritual children into, or as they father their spiritual children into adulthood. Huh? So let's 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 remove the the the, the mysticism from the term apostle and see it for what it really is. Glory to God. Let me go into uh, this next one, which is the prophets. A man or a woman who represents the interest of God to the people. Having stood in the counsel of God, the prophet releases a clarion call to the people of what is in God's heart at the moment. So prophets reveal God's heart to the people, giving guidance to individuals and the body, giving revelation as well as interpretation, application, and timing. We see several examples of that in the book of Acts. In Acts 21, Abagus is a good example of where prophecy can be rightly interpreted, or in, 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 interpreted, should I say. Yet applied wrongly, as Paul was urged not to go into Jerusalem, escaping the predictive prophecy of his fate. In this case, we see prophecy as foretelling. It is also yet it is also foretelling. Let me put it that way, which is often neglected by those who run after prophet prophetic words, and so. With the new acceptance and recognition of the office of a prophet over the past 20 years, believers turning to them 
as fortune tellers have become a real problem that has driven many to totally rejected prophets. It led them to reject prophets. God has established prophets in his church. And the church will not be complete if we reject their ministry out of our fear. Many pastors live in fear of prophets, feeling threatened by what they may say to the church or even himself or herself or, or, or let me say himself. And at, and, and at times, rightly so, since too many prophetic people exalt themselves and the word they speak instead of uh, 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 being humble servants to the body, allowing leadership to weigh their words and judge them. You understand? As commanded by scripture. Glory to God. Alright, so let me move on to evangelists. An evangelist carries a great burden for those who are not part of the kingdom of God. Yet, an anointing to preach the gospel to them that comes within great uh, conviction. It comes with great conviction and draws them to the Lord. They will often have signs and wonders following, following them to confirm their message. And so the prime example of an evangelist in the New Testament is Philip. He was one of the men uh, chosen to serve the widows in Acts 6. And he is the only one specifically called an evangelist in Acts uh, uh, 21.8. In Acts 8, he obeys the Holy Spirit and brings the Ethiopian eunuch to, believing, to a believing knowledge of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so evangelists uh, 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 create converts, while apostles create disciples. Ain't that nice? Their foremost desire is to see people come into the kingdom while leaving the discipling to others. They love teaching others how to win people and never feel like they're actually doing enough or accomplishing their task. While they are grieved to see believers in difference regarding the laws, they do have an anointing to impart God's broken heart to the body. So evangelists are absolutely crucial for the numeric growth in the local church and in the kingdom of God. All right, praise God. So let's go to pastors. Glory to God. And so... The pastor is the heart of the church. Hmm? He is the shepherd who deeply cares for the sheep. Ready to lay down everything for them. Glory to God. Ah, He wants them to be fed. He wants them to grow. He wants them to be equipped to develop their gifting and step into the calling of, of, of God for them. So in the local church, they have they, they they are the bridge between the different offices and functions. They are the bridge between the different offices and functions. Listening to all sides and restoring calm and order when necessary. Jesus, the supreme shepherd, taught a lot about shepherding the sheep, giving us a great example of what a pastor should look like. 
And so the pastor's greatest concerns is always the well-being of his sheep and the body. Not only bringing training, but correction and protection when necessary. Glory to God. And so the office of the pastor is one of the most recognized today of all the five. Because of lack of understanding of the other four, those called by God to these other offices have often been, uh, often become, they often become pastors. Therefore, filling the shoes uh, uh, that were not theirs and creating tensions in the church because they could not meet their sheep's need. It is time for the church to allow evangelists, teachers, apostles, and prophets to be what they are called to be and take their rightful place in the church. Glory to God. And so we're going to lastly talk about teachers. Teachers teach and edify the church, imparting divine life and anointing to their listeners who become more hungry for the word of God. As the teacher, uh, 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 you know, as a teacher, as a, as a, as a how can I say this? As he illuminates or illumines. Is that the right word, illuminates? I think it is. As a teacher illuminates scripture and brings forth never seen, he brings forth truth or she brings forth truth. Never before seen or never seen by the listeners before. Hmm? This is what teachers do. While prophets reveal the heart of God, teachers reveal the mind. Prophets and teachers balance each other in the church, which can also create a tension, to be honest. Prophets have revelation of hidden things in the future, while teachers have hidden things in the word. Glory to God. Teachers reveal uh, the specifics of the revealed truth, while prophets reveal the spectrum. And so while prophets possess, uh, they possess foresight. You know what I'm saying? Teachers have insight. So while prophets are risk takers, teachers move by understanding and our planners. And the list, the list could go on, really. You know what I'm saying? Teachers are very essential in the body of Christ to give the sheep a good foundation of the word of God. Sometimes churches that place a high emphasis on being spirit-led neglect the solid grounding of the word. A simple saying to remember, teaching of the word without the spirit and it will dry up chasing the spirit without teaching of the word and it will blow up glory to God and so let me just say in conclusion that the Lord has called some to be apostles some as prophets some evangelists some teachers and some pastors today Amen. He is restoring a biblical understanding of what these roles and callings mean so that his, his bride 
can come into fullness, into the fullness of what he has for her. Getting ready for the bridegroom's glorious return. The church has come a long way over the past few decades. Even, the, even though there's still a lot of wrong conceptions and rejection due to abuse and prevalent, uh, pr prevalent in his body. You see? You see? And so if, if, if apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers start taking their rightful place, having been proven and tested as humble servants, we would see the body brought into maturity. Having all five offices in place in a church and training up the body according to uh, uh, accor accordingly will allow our church to enter into a place of growth and equipping that has never been dreamed possible. Only when the church on this earth becomes what her head meant her to be. With all the offices in place, we will truly come into full maturity and have the ability to fulfill the commission our master gave us to make disciples of all nations doing the same work he did and even greater. This has been Mitchell Dawkins with today's message. Well, good evening, folks. Today is the 11th day of July, 2023. I'm your host and narrator, Mitchell Dawkins, with today's message. Uh, glory to God. You know, one of the top stories uh, uh, about today uh, that I've been seeing on social media and whatnot is this woman, Leslie Van Host, uh, Houghton. She was a follower of Charles Manson. Uh, uh, I hope some of y'all are old enough to, to remember Charles Manson, but... You know, you can Google anything these days. But anyway, um, I understand she got released today after, after, after I don't know, maybe about 53 years in prison. You understand what I'm talking about? That's a long time. So she's about 73. And um, uh, so she must have went in when she was around about 19. And so she was instrumental in the murder of this, of this well-known or this wealthy uh, California couple. And uh, her and her husband uh, was murdered. Uh, and um, um, it was said that she held the, the, the woman down or some of the people down or something like this. I don't know the full details. Amen. But I understand the word war was called, carved in his stomach. Now, that's that's pretty horrific, you see. And um, uh, so there's been a lot of controversy on, uh, you know, whether she should have been re released to parole and and, 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 and whatnot, you know, um, uh, some people were for it, some people wasn't for it. Uh, she did serve her time. I mean, she's been up for parole a couple of more times uh, before in the past, and she's been turned down, but uh, today she got released. And so, um, amen, uh, and so again, we, we see this as a horrific murder, uh, or any murder for that matter uh, is horrific. But uh, we're gonna talk about uh, biblical murders. And how we how they relate to us, and so I read an article by a guy named uh, Peter DeHan, which is a which is, he writes about Christian, uh, biblical Christianity, Amen. To confront the status quo, religion, you know, uh, 
so he seeks a he seeks a fresh approach to following Jesus through the lens of scripture without the baggage of made up traditions and, and meaningless uh, practices. And so, um, hey man, um, I'm just going to, you know, uh, touch on these biblical murders because, you know, murder, murder is not nothing new. Under, uh, the, the word of God says there's nothing new under the sun. You see? Amen. But again, uh, the, the, the topic the, or the title of this is biblical, biblical murders and how they relate to us. And so, uh, we're going to consider some of the best-known biblical murders, the best-known ones. Now, there, there are many in the Bible, you understand, but we, we're just going to touch on a few because I don't want this message to be too long. And I hope those who are listening to me don't get offended, you know what I'm saying, because, uh, you know, it is what it is. The truth is the truth. And so what I'm going to talk about is the truth uh, about biblical murders and how they relate to us. And so the first person I'm going to talk about is Cain. Cain kills Abel, right? And so we're only four chapters into the Bible when the first murder occurs. Cain kills his brother Abel, right? And so this, this account in the Bible suggests that Cain premeditated his actions. Premeditated murder, that's first degree murder right there. But let's not view Cain as all evil. Like his brother, Cain worships, he worships God and brings an offering to him, right? We do this too, don't we? Yet God finds, God finds Cain's offering lacking, right? So as a result, Cain is angry with God. Are we ever angry at God? I know I have been. And uh, I ask for forgiveness and I repent for that. But out of jealousy, which is another human trait, Cain kills his brother. You see that in the book of Genesis, Genesis 4. Yeah. And although we haven't killed, uh, or I hope we haven't killed nobody, we have more in common with Cain than we want to admit. Right? Let me move on to somebody else. Moses. Moses kills an Egyptian. This is another well-known and esteemed person in the Bible. Moses. Yet Moses is another one of the biblical murderers. Now, let me clear this up. The Bible don't call him a murderer. It doesn't call him a murderer. But, you know, we all we all, we all do. I, I've even said that a few times uh, as I was presenting something. Uh, I called Moses a murderer. But the Bible don't actually call him a murderer. You see? And so, hey amen. Um, Moses is, what he did is he witnessed he witnesses an Egyptian overlord beating a Hebrew man, one of his own kind. And seeing no one else was watching, Moses kills the Egyptian and hides the evidence. How many of us have done something wrong and hid the evidence? Hmm? I ain't say just kill, but anything wrong and hide the evidence. You see this in the book of Exodus uh, chapter 2 verses, begins at verse 11. So again, we see another instance of premeditated murder. Though we might sympathize with Moses' actions or even say it was, it was a just killing, the reality is that it's still murder. But despite Moses killing another man, God still uses him to free his people. God later has an intimate relationship with Moses, one that we all like to have. Ain't that right? Now let's move on to David. David kills Uriah. 
Huh? So we're talking about biblical murders right here. And so the third biblical murder is David. David spends many years of his life leading an army and slaying enemies. But we don't call him a murderer for his military exploits, do we? Nah, nah, nah. We call him a murderer for planning and ordering the death of his lover's husband. Hmm? David is not only a murderer, he's also an adulterer. Yeah, look at 2 Samuel chapter 11. Yet the Bible later calls David a man after God's own heart. Yes, David suffered for what he did, but God restores David into a right relationship with him. Only God can do that. Glory to God. Paul killed Stephen. Hmm? Paul, a key figure in the early church and the New Testament. Matter of fact, he, he one of the most prolific writers is another biblical murderer. Paul, a righteous, devout Jew, a godly person, is zealous in his opposition to the followers of Jesus. Not to God, the Father, but he had a problem with Jesus and who Jesus said he was. And so he killed a lot of people murdered a lot of people, imprisoned a lot of people. Paul does this for what God uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and in the name of religions. God does this for Paul and in the name of religion. You know, history is full of people and, 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 and you know, right now who kill for their faith. But that doesn't justify their actions. Huh? Though Paul kills many of, uh, for religion, the Bible only gives us details of one, which was in which was Stephen in Acts uh, chapter seven, beginning at verse fifty-seven. As a matter of fact, yet despite Paul's violent opposition to Team Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, excuse that, Jesus later calls Paul to follow him and grow him into a most effective missionary. Glory to God. Huh? Yeah, let, let, let's take a look at Judas. Judas kills Jesus. Now, let's not forget that Judas is another one of on the list of biblical murders. Though he doesn't physically kill another person as did Cain and Moses, he doesn't orchestrate a death. Uh, he doesn't orchestrate a death like David did. Judas is the catalyst for another death. Jesus. Yeah, he was a catalyst for Jesus's death. And so Jesus is the most significant death to occur in the Bible, for humanity, for all throughout all humanity. He's the most significant death in the Bible. But thank God for the resurrection. <laughs> Glory to God. And hopefully they don't, I don't get another call and interrupt this. But throughout Jesus' uh, death, uh, although Jesus' death is necessary to save us, that doesn't forgive Judas for his part in making it happen. And like Cain, like Cain, we must realize that Judas isn't all bad. He is a follower of Jesus, after all, right? A disciple, 
yet he is also greedy and in his greed he sells out Jesus who have you sold out huh who have we sold out have we sold out Jesus too you can see that in the book of Luke chapter 22 beginning in verse 47 Amen. And though Judas might have received forgiveness from Jesus, just as Jesus forgave and restored Peter into a right relationship with him, we'll never know why he did it. But his grace is sufficient and his mercy endures forever. And his mercy is new every day. But Judas commits suicide out of remorse over what he did to Jesus. And so the question is, who do we kill? Huh? Who do we kill? Jesus teaches us what the Old Testament commands, which is simply killing is wrong. Yet he goes beyond the physical act of murder to tell us that even being angry at another person is a sin. Implicitly, it's, it's murder. And as a result of anger, we are no less innocent than someone who murders another. Huh? But there's much more. Much more. Though we blame Judas for Jesus' death, we are part of it too. Because of our sins, Jesus had to die to reconcile us with Father God. Glory to God for that. And our sin made it necessary. Our sins made it necessary for Jesus to die. As painful as it, as it is to say, we helped murder Jesus. All of us did. Hmm? And so... All five of these biblical murders had a relationship. Murderers had a relationship with God. And at the time of the murders, they committed, orchestrated, or approved. They weren't, they weren't in the right place with God on their faith journey. But it's what happens afterward that, 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 that counts, right? Glory to God. And, and are you willing to put the past behind you? Huh? Are you willing to put the past behind you? Regardless of how horrific or benign it might be. And move forward to serve Jesus and advance the kingdom of God. Can we do much like Moses, David, and, 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 and Paul? Or we falter like Cain and Judas? The choice is ours. Father God, help us not become the judge the jury, the persecutor, the prosecutor, and the jury in our lives. But help us to leave all things in your hand, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. This has been Mitchell Dawkins with today's, this evening's message. Peace.